And now we turn to the wives and we look at the general duties of wives as laid out by the word of God. And so as we begin this uh, sub-series then on the wives, we turn back to that text that we have considered so often, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll pick up the reading in verse 22 and go to the end of the chapter. Please give your attention once again to the reading of God's holy word. These are the very words of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. O God. We come to this text, which again is a glorious picture of the gospel. How it is, O God, that you have given us the Son of God, that he may be bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, that we may be one in him. And so, Father, as we preach, as I preach the gospel through marriage, and as we see the duties of husband and wife reflected in this gospel picture, pray, we pray that you would enable the minister to preach faithfully, not his own opinion, not what he would desire out of marriage, not what we would desire as the people of God, but what you desire, Father, that we would maintain whole and pure the picture of the gospel in the home, that many would see the love of Christ for his bride and the reverence of the church for her husband. So open our hearts here. We are a stiff-necked people, Father. We freely confess that. So may your spirit break and shatter our hearts that we would love our God and do what you have asked us to do. And so to that end, Father, we pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Respect. Respect for those in authority seems to be at an all-time low In our nation, we have no respect for our parents. We have no respect for our presidents. And because of that, we have great difficulty in submitting to God instituted institutions. Isaiah 3 5. I was thinking on this text during the preparation of our sermon tonight. It shows what a lack of respect in society towards those in authority will produce. And the people shall be oppressed. 
every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient or the elder and the base against the honorable. In a lot of ways, this is a snapshot of America circa 2023. Why? Because honor is not rendered to those whom honor is due. And in the home today, and ladies, you know, we have dealt with the man's responsibility in several sermons. But for you, ladies, what is often lost in the home is a respect for your husband. Respect for your husband by virtue of his position in the home as your husband. And so rather than marriage becoming a picture of the gospel, it has become something else in many of our homes. It has become contentious. It has become something ugly. It has become something very strained. Nothing at all like what the church and Christ ought to be. A relationship of love and reverence. And when the wife loses respect for her husband, right, she loses the gospel picture in the home, in her conduct. And for her part, at least, the home will not be ordered well. Right? But when she has respect for her husband, even when it is difficult, the home will be ordered well. And she will actually find God's blessing because she is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Not really so much that she follows her husband, but that she is following Christ who has so often told us to what? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. We saw that with the husbands. The husbands are called to love even those that are hard to love as Christ has loved us. And just as it is that if we see this analog between Christ and the church and husband and wife, just as the church that submits to Christ in all things will have his blessing, so too will a wife who submits in the Lord to her husband and respects him have the blessing, not of her husband, but of Christ, which is what matters, isn't it? But as, and we think about then this gospel picture, and I'll talk about this a little bit, but as the church herself today has very little respect and regard for Christ, we're finding that that then comes into our home, right? The church, we have very little regard for our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we surprised that we are finding, right, in our homes a lack of respect for husbands? No, it's, it's, it's God's fair chastisement on our homes if we, as the bride of Christ, that includes men as well as women, don't respect our heavenly husband. And so men, if you have no respect for Christ, don't be surprised if your woman, if your wife has no respect for you. And so our theme then, I've gone a little long in the introduction here, is that the wife's church-like reverence for her husband. The wife's church-like reverence for her husband, and we'll consider that under three heads. That first, her respect is rooted in the gospel. Second, her respect must begin inwardly. And third, her respect is then shown outwardly to her husband. First, her respect is rooted in the gospel. And a few matters before we begin. Just as I mentioned to husbands when we began our theme on the husband's Christ-like love for his wife, I will mention to you women, there is going to be a lot of law in a sermon like this. Right? There's going to be a lot of law in a sermon like this, and there might be a lot of conviction for that. 
And so first, what you must remember, women, as I exhorted the men, is that if you are in Christ, you must remember you're standing before God, that you are in Christ. But as he has saved you, what is your calling? Right? What did the Lord Jesus Christ say to all men, women, children? If you love me, keep my commandments. And these are his commandments that we are considering, ladies, tonight. But as he has saved you, right, your calling is to be well-pleasing, to please, again, don't get this wrong. Don't get this backward. This sermon is not first and foremost about pleasing your earthly husband, but about pleasing your heavenly husband, Jesus Christ. That's where you begin. Uh, This is what he calls you to as a woman, to live as a believer, to no longer live for yourself and your desires. What does 2 Corinthians 5.15 say? That we don't live unto ourselves, but unto him who which died for you and rose again. Every Christian lives now for the one who died for us and rose again. Is that how your life is lived, ladies? And men, of course, too. But ladies, as we consider you, is your life lived for the one who loved you and died for you and rose again? Now, the other matter, like I reminded the husbands, is I'm aware that there might be pain and there might be hurt. And sometimes it's because of our or your dereliction of duty, right? Perhaps your marriage is in tatters or or perhaps even a divorce has resulted. And, And you're convicted that maybe part of the reason why is because I did not do what I am called to do as a woman, Beloved, what I would say, as I told the men, is commit your pain and your grief to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. And if you have not, remember that there is no condemnation in Christ. If you have felt like I can't bring my shame to the Lord, remember the woman this morning with the issue of blood. There's no shame in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ with your guilt if you are coming by faith in him. And he will remove your guilt and he will heal your heart. And the other thing I will say before we begin is I'm not going to deal with hard cases. I told this to the men as well, right? Not in this sermon. I'm not going to discuss things like infidelity, physical or spiritual abuse tonight. You know, sadly, there are some men who take the stance that a woman must suffer any situation and not cry out for help. Now, if you think you're suffering in that way, please come and speak to an elder here. Uh, And I may preach sermons on this on another time, including the matter of divorce and Christ's two allowances for divorce, uh, geographic desertion and adultery. But as been said in other sermons, you know, the church has the power of the keys to discipline ladies, Uh, not ladies, discipline ladies and men, but ladies, the church has the power to discipline and the state has the power of the sword to punish the evildoer. And while not everything that the world calls abuse is abuse, truly abusive men and women are to be disciplined and possibly criminalized. But I'm not dealing of abuse, infidelity, and things of that nature tonight. So I'm leaving that there so you understand the nature of the preaching tonight and its constraints. There are also seven prior sermons, so we're building on what has come before, including the idea of husband and wife, Uh, together as companions through life, the husband to love his wife, and so on. The wife is the helpmeet for the husband. Okay, well, with all of that, as we continue, let me reiterate one other thing. Never forget the gospel as a picture of marriage. Your marriage is to be centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that single commitment, 
you will remedy all the ills in your marriage. Because husband and wife must think, Christian husband and wife particularly, must think on this. My marriage is about something greater than ourselves. Every Christian marriage is about, is meant to be a testimony of the gospel itself. Have you thought on your marriage that way, men and women? You are almost ambassadors for Christ in your marriage. You are giving a picture to the world of what marriage is and what Christ's marriage to the church is. It's a living, though imperfect, witness, portrait of Christ and his church. Our text says, right, the gospel reveals the great mystery of the marriage of Christ to his church and that the church is one with Christ. And that is pictured in the institution of marriage. So when husbands sacrificially love their wives, they show the world how Christ, our heavenly husband, gave up his life for the church out of love for her. And when wives sweetly submit to their own husband's leadership, they show the world how the church submits in love to her heavenly husband. Consider verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. We covered that last week. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And here's the challenge. In everything. The duty of the wife is to submit to their own husband. Not all husbands, not all men, just their very own husband. But do you hear who she does it for? Does she do it for his sake? Now, I mean, it's good to submit to your husband and love him and do it for his sake. But where does it begin? This is where even those who hold to male headship, which is biblical, can go wrong. She does it as unto the Lord. She does it as unto the Lord. She does it for Christ's sake, her Lord's sake. And as the church is subject to Christ in everything, wives are subject to their own husbands in everything as well. And you've heard me preach on that. Whatever is not sin, the wife is to submit to her own husband's authority and leadership. You heard last week of the husband's duty to lead his wife and his family. But women, Lest you think that men have it much easier when we are told to submit to governing authorities. Our flesh has it just as bad, I suppose. But it is tough, especially for women today, to hear something like this, that I have to submit to a man. And our flesh is, your flesh is going to recoil at that. And Genesis 3.16 reminds us of why that is. That you face an uphill battle after the fall. That your desire is for your husband's position in the home, right, after the fall. Your corrupted flesh despises his authority. Your corrupted flesh will not want to respect him. And there are two things to impress upon your soul here. And the first is something I will repeat. And I will repeat it because it has to be said over and over again. Because all of our obedience to earthly authority is not for the sake of the earthly authority, but for Christ. You must drill that thought into yourself, into your mind, and resolve to do it. This is my self-denial. This is the taking up my cross. This is my following after Jesus. I do the hard things in the Word of God because I follow after my beloved Christ. It's a, it was the same way with husbands, wasn't it, when we talked about them? 
when we talked about loving our wives, we heard that we cannot stop loving our wives, even if they are contentious women, even if they call us names, even if they despise us, even if they treat us as refuse. The commandment of God is to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the gospel picture, isn't it? Who did Christ love? Did he love the lovely? What does he say? He didn't love you because there was anything in you to love. He loved you because he loved you. He set his love on you. He puts his love on you. Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. How does God commend his own love towards us? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the husband's cross to bear. A husband loves his wife for the Lord, however difficult she makes it to love him. The same is true on the other side for wives. Women, if you deal with a man that is difficult to submit to, again, assuming sin is not involved in the submission, you say, oh my soul, I submit to my husband for Jesus' sake. And she prays. You ought to pray, ladies. Lord, I submit to him for thee. Second, to submit to your husband in the Lord, you must cultivate a particular inward grace. And that is the grace of reverence or respect for your husband. Verse 33 is so key to discussions on wifely submission. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as, uh, even as himself. That's the husband's duty. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Reverence your own husband, ladies. What that is, is, and I think the New King James translates it, respect. Right? The text encourages you. It says, see that you reverence your husband. In other words, it's a duty commanded by the Lord. Let the wife see that she respects or reverences her husband. And boys and girls, maybe as I uh, read to you the Greek word, you might understand actually the true, the, 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 not true, the literal word here under, uh, under the authorized version for reverence is phobeo. That word means fear. The authorized version translators use uh, reverence instead of fear so women don't fear their husbands and tremble before them in a slavish way. You're not to fear your husband that way. Instead, though, think on the parallel between Christ and his church. You are called to fear God, right, Christian? You're called not to fear that God is going to slay you if you're in Christ. Yeah, if you're outside of Christ, you have to fear that. But if you have run to Christ for refuge, you don't fear God uh, as a hard man who's going to come and squash you, but you reverence him. He is your heavenly father. He is your authority. And the things that he says you are to respect and to revere. And so, though he is her husband, the wife is called to reverence him. Remember the haunting question God asked his church in Malachi 1.6 when we were in Malachi. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? We remember we heard that wasn't a slavish fear. But it, surely we must respect God. This is what's so missing in so much of the church in our century, is there's no fear of God before our eyes. He is the Lord God Almighty, and we ought to, and that's what makes Christ so beautiful and wondrous, is that this God who is so awesome 
has saved us by giving us Christ. Well, a wife's respect for her husband neatly parallels, as we think on the church's role, the church's fear of the Lord. And so what you have to understand, ladies, is a wife, a woman who does not respect their husband, will find it impossible to submit to him. That's really, at the end of the day, the issue. If you don't respect your husband, you will not submit to him. Just like a church who doesn't, or a believer who doesn't respect God, will not submit to him either. Many of us, you know, we, we think on the world, right? We think of how many of its proverbs we have drunk in, right? Or what's one of those worldly proverbs that's nowhere to be found in the Bible, and everybody thinks it's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. And so many people think that's actually from the Bible. But that's completely anti-gospel, right? God helps those who can't help themselves. But we've also taken in other proverbs like, um, what is it? Respect is earned, not given. Respect is earned, not given. You won't find that in the Bible at all. Okay? That is how the heathen, not the Christian, thinks. Consider Romans 13.7. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear, that's reverence, to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Honor and reverence are due. There are obligation to all the authorities established by God. You know, a wonderful example of this, boys and girls, is the Apostle Paul himself. You remember in Acts 23, when Paul reviled Ananias the high priest, and he was called out for doing it? Paul professed ignorance, didn't he? He said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Acts 23.5, citing Exodus 22.28. Now here's even one who is opposing the work of the gospel. And for the sake of his position, Paul understood he had to at least be respectful of him. That's what we've lost, is respect for office and position. Honor and respect, the Bible says, are due to those who are in authority over us. And our society's lack of regard for authority has ruined us in the church. You you all likely know that it is unlikely that I would be a fan of our current president. And I am sure that, or or even the past president, um, not to make this political, but what really grieves me is all the memes and stuff online of Christians who are called to honor their president, to honor Caesar. They have to ridicule and make fun of those in authority over us, right? You are to honor them just as children are to honor their parents. That's the fifth commandment. And of course, then, in our home, right, we don't model respect and authority for authority. So, of course, our children have no uh, respect for us. Why would they? Have we ever modeled it for them? No, we must respect those who are put in authority. We can disagree for sure, but we are not called to mock and contempt, have contempt for those in authority. We are called to respect them for their office. And wives, you are called to respect your husband, beloved. And what's the reason? Just this one very basic reason. He is your husband. He is your husband the one the Lord joined you to. Remember at the institution of marriage, who joins a man and a woman together? It is God who brings the woman to the man. 
the one that the Lord has joined you to, his position. That must mean something to you, ladies, when you say, he is my husband. And that word husband means to my soul. Oh, my soul, that means I must respect him. And here's the thing, he doesn't have to earn it. That's going to sound very backwards today. But it's the same as I mentioned to the president. Does your child have to, do you have to earn your child's respect? No, they are to give respect to you. It's the same way with the husband. Say, ladies, oh my soul, the moment I said I do, I was duty bound to respect him. The old Presbyterian form of wedding vows, wives would take this vow. I do in the presence of God and before this congregation promise and covenant to be a loving, faithful, and here's the word, obedient wife unto thee until God shall separate us by death. In the Anglican church until 1980, the bride vowed to love, cherish, and obey. Guess which verb, as we were thinking of verbs this morning, guess which verb was removed in 2000? Obey. The vows are typically flattened and identical. They're egalitarian now between groom and bride. But what has happened? The gospel has been distorted by that. And it's no surprise, I don't think, that antinomianism against Christ's rule has risen in the same time period, has it? Because the church no longer thinks she has to obey Jesus Christ. What does the church say to Jesus? I'll just take all of your benefits, Lord, and I don't have to render any worship. I don't have to render any service to you. That's just the culture that we're in. But that's not biblical. The word is settled. Here's the word of God, settled for all generations. All that said, you know, and um, our wedding wedding vows between my, my wife and I, you know, this was before we were believers. And so we didn't have the typical wedding vows that are very biblical. But regardless of whether you took a vow to obey your husband or not, um, wife, the word binds you to obey, just as the word of God binds your husband to love you and to cherish you, and to nourish you, and to provide for you. And what I think the godly lady does is she says, if no one else on the earth will respect my husband, I will. If no one else will, I will resolve to do it. If his, if his boss doesn't respect him, if our children don't respect him, if his friends don't respect him, if his mother doesn't respect him, if his father doesn't respect him, I will respect my husband. Just as your husband ought to say to you, if nobody on this earth will love my wife, I will. If she is a contentious woman and she can't get along with anybody else, I will love my wife. This is what, this is what Christians are called to do. This is what makes us different from the heathen. Isn't it? What did Jesus say? If you love those who love you, how are you any better than the publican? How are you any better than the heathen? We are called to love those that are hard to love. We are called to submit to those who are hard to submit because we do it for Christ's sake. And if husband and wife both had such a heart for each other, their home would be filled with bliss. Peter says, ladies, you must respect your husband even if he is not a believer though. All right, 1 Peter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word... Right, So these are husbands that are not obeying the word. They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or conduct of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with 
What's the next word? Fear. It's that word reverence again. Notice how often that word pops up to the ladies in the context of the wife's conduct. You are to submit even to husbands that don't obey the word of God. Again, in things that are not sinful. Why? That they may be won by your chaste and godly conduct. And this, ladies, and I think you know it, just think about your own life and maybe the life of your mother or those you know uh, that are, have been in your life, women, wives that you might know. A man is never won by sinful contention and insubordination. Now is he? Has any man ever been won by that? Contention and insubordination? No. That only inflames the tension between you and you will never resolve a thing. God says, you go and you win the ungodly uh, husband, even with your conduct, ladies. And now if that's the ungodly man, and I trust most of you here are married to a godly man, how much more a godly man who has the spirit of the Lord in him, who is convicted that when he snaps at his wife and she doesn't snap back, but instead is still shows love, turns the other cheek, and say, even in spite of that cruel word, husband, I love you, how that might melt the heart of a godly man. As opposed to escalation and escalation, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? We are to turn the other cheek. And somehow in the marital bond, both husband and wife think that that applies to others and strangers, but not to the two of them. Ladies, all believers must know this when we are dealing with others, but especially when it comes to the marriage bond. You can not control your husband's heart, right? But you can certainly control your own by God's help. If you are also obedient to the calling of God, what a help God will be to you in prayer. Lord, would you turn my husband's heart as I seek to obey you? Why? I respect his authority because you, O Lord, have told me to. So what I would say is plead his promises, ladies. What did he say? He might be won by your conduct. Whose word is that? Is that my word? That's God's word. Take it to him in prayer. Lord, win my husband by my godly conduct. You have promised it. So make my conduct godly that I might win him to yourself. Now this is all hard on your flesh, ladies. What does the Bible say? We've covered it in previous sermons. It says, ladies, trust in God and not your own ways as the holy women of old. First Peter 3, 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who what? Trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. What enables you to respect your husband and to submit to your husband? It is trusting in God. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith, isn't it? They were in subjection to their husband, the holy women of old, because they trusted in God. All of us have to do that, friends. All of us have placed our lives under others, whether it is our president as citizens, whether it is our parents as a child, boys and girls, you have put your life into your parents' hands, so to speak, whether it's husband and wife and the wife, we all have the same duty to trust in God. To trust in God. We trust the God who has ordained these institutions. 
And so in all of that, ladies, again, what you have before you is fundamentally a gospel issue. So go back to two Lord's Days ago when I reminded the men that men who do not provide for their family in 1 Timothy 5.8, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You remember that? Men who don't, they don't um, provide for their family are worse than an infidel because nature itself teaches men that they are to be the providers of the home and how much more a man who knows the gospel. But wives, the word is very similar to you. Titus 2, 4 through 5, we read it last Lord's Day in the sequential readings. This is your analog, that they, the older ladies, may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. There it is. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. This is a gospel issue again, isn't it? You see, the word of God is blasphemed when a wife is not obedient to her own husband. Why is that? Because the gospel itself is distorted in your conduct, ladies. It's the same as it was for the men, right? You are distorting the gospel when you don't provide for your wife. How could you possibly say that you are a portrait of Christ's love? if you don't provide for your wife? And how is it possible, ladies, that you are a portrait of the love of the church for her husband, Christ, if you are not submissive to your husband? You know, nature itself, like with the men, teaches women to be submissive to their husbands. This was seen in societies all over the world until very recently. And again, so a Christian woman touched by the gospel, who knows the word of God, who knows the duty to respect her husband and obey him is instead contentious. How can she witness for Christ? You know, one of the worst things about American missionaries is they take their marriages to other parts of the world and they have women there who are sweet to their husband and follow their husband. And then the American missionaries come and the wife is bickering, refusing to do what the, uh, what the husband says and leads and tries to lead the, the wife. And is that in any way a picture of the work of the gospel? It's a convicting thing. They say, what is wrong with you? Why don't your women, you know, these are the things that they learn in their culture even, because these are things by nature that we ought to know, that a woman ought to follow her man's leading. And we, what? Blaspheme the word of God. And I, I want to deal with a more fundamental problem that has come along with feminism. Right? There is a general lack of respect women have for men today. Women often say things like this, all men are pigs or men are fools. And sometimes, beloved ladies, that may have even been in your upbringing. You might have heard that all the time. Perhaps your mother raised you, and, and sometimes, right, sometimes in ladies, you've been raised by a single uh, uh, woman, and your dad has abandoned you when you were a child. And I understand that sometimes these things color our impressions of an entire sex. Uh, sometimes, though, at the same time, that impacts our, our view of God the Father, and it ought never do that, right? So many of us have had terrible fathers, and we can't let the, 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 the terrible father impact our view of God as the perfect father. In the same way, whatever you have gone through in your, in your, in your history with men, maybe as a, a father who is absent or whatever, you can't let that color your impression of an entire sex. You must put those thoughts about men away. The Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, is a male. 
all men are not pigs by that very one fact. All men are not fools by that one fact. Do not disparage men and mothers. You need to put into your daughters a healthy respect for men. Right? Do not disparage them. And fathers, this is a great weight you are going to have to carry. You must be a godly example to your daughters of what a man ought to be. That she might respect men. Right? This... This greatly convicts me that our entire sex would not suffer from my poor example. That's a great burden, men, as I think on my own daughters, and you ought to think on yours if you have them. That said, women that are resentful of the institutions God has given to men will also do poorly. If your sentiment is, it's unfair that men are the leaders of the home, or it's unfair that only men can be pastors and elders, you will also do poorly in marriage too. You will not respect the authority that God has given to certain offices. These divisions of roles by sex are to be embraced and not reviled. And the way to fix that is to see the glory and the beauty of the role that God has given ladies, which we're going to consider next week. And that is something we must do, that men would appreciate their wives more first off. But second, that women would also see the glory of what a wife is called to be a role that a man in no way can perform or fulfill. So don't cast, and this is the problem in Genesis 3, don't cast an envious eye, ladies, at the responsibilities God has given men. You heard last week, this is a responsibility and not a privilege to be a husband. It will take away, if you are envious of that, from the wonderful, praiseworthy work he has given to you. Well, I've gone very long in this first heading, but having laid our foundation that submission happens with respect, the following headings will be more practical and, God willing, a bit shorter. So in our next head, let's consider that your respect, ladies, begins inwardly. Women, the respect you owe to your own husband, it begins in your heart. Begins in your heart. Our religion is heart religion, isn't it? It's not outward like the false religion, uh, religions or the religions of the Pharisee. If you despise your husband, right, in your heart, yet you, you go and you do everything, like you, whatever he says, you do it begrudgingly, you are not honoring the Lord. And that's what really matters, isn't it? That you're honoring the Lord in your heart when you respect and submit to your husband. This is why, again, you, you, you submit in the Lord, You're worried about whether the Lord is seeing something in your heart that is praiseworthy. Your concern is to be pleasing to him in all things. You can please your husband outwardly and he might not ever have a clue that you resent him. And he might be okay with that because he does not know that. But does that please Jesus? That's your primary concern, ladies. Not whether or not my husband knows that really I'm fuming on the inside. Jesus knows that you're fuming on the inside, and that doesn't honor him. And that's why the grace begins on the heart. That's a general principle for all of us, right? I always tell our children this, right? Yeah, you can take the trash out. You can do your duties, right, in that way. But if you're rolling your eyes and you don't want to do it, well, are you really doing it from the heart as you ought to do it and honor your father and your mother? Because ultimately, you're honoring the Lord when you keep the fifth commandment. And you're not honoring the Lord if you roll your eyes and you do it, and sure, the trash is gone. I guess the, the house is clean. 
but you're not honoring the Lord. And that's the thing that really matters. You know, even I was thinking on my own mom, right? She loved her husband. She adored him. She did all kinds of stuff for him. And she was always there. I mean, in a lot of ways, I would say maybe even more so than maybe it was called for. But uh, she didn't love Jesus Christ. She was an unbeliever. So at the end of the day, does any of that have any value in God's eyes? Not really. Not really, friends. You know, you are after, ladies, to please Christ. And if that's where your heart is before God, because, right, as, as he said, God sees the heart and not the outer man, then you will, you, will, you will then respect your husband from the heart. This is all part of the new birth and of regeneration, and you can seek to grow in this way by God's grace. So let's consider 1 Peter 3 again, verses 3 to 5. Whose adorning, this is speaking of the ladies, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be what? The hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of what? And this is the grace the ladies need of a meek and quiet spirit. And here's where you have to find the value. Do you remember how it goes next? Which is in the sight of God of great price. He's not saying it'll be in the sight of your husband, great price, ladies. It is in the sight of God at great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. See, their adornment was inward, not outward, being in subjection unto their own husband. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement or fear. Again, This is what the Pharisees didn't understand, did they? They didn't understand that God sees the heart. And so, ladies, grace should be cultivated by the hidden man of your heart, a meek and quiet spirit. And you might despise that idea when today ladies are called to be just as loud and just as vulgar as unregenerate men. But you are called to have a meek and quiet spirit, not a doormat. We've talked about that before. But you are to be meek like Sarah. And you might despise that idea, but again, think of what Peter, which is really God, the Holy Spirit, saying to you. It's in the sight of God of great price. If you really wanted to please your God, you would cultivate such graces, wouldn't you? Lord, put away my pride. Lord, put away my obstinacy. Give me a quiet and meek spirit that I would be well-pleasing to thee. That's what the holy women of old, like Sarah, possessed. She respected her husband. She followed his leadership, right? You remember this. When when he said to his family, God is taking us out of Ur, she followed him. And though at times, and I want you to think on this, ladies, Abraham several times forfeited the earthly right to respect, didn't he? Oh, she's my sister. She's not my wife. She tells the Pharaoh this. He tells the Pharaoh this. Right Now, in a lot of ways, that would be in society. You ladies have forfeited the right to respect your husband. But she respected him anyhow, because she was a holy woman with a meek and quiet spirit. And you need to cultivate that spirit, ladies. Would you find it your glory to be called the daughter of Sarah? 
And what's the opposite of a meek and quiet spirit then? Because we have to always, right, in, in the word of God, we have to see the things that are forbidden to us as well as the things we are to be. So we are to be meek and quiet. The opposite of meek and quiet would be contemptuous and contentious, wouldn't it? What's uh, the way a woman like that is described in the proverb? It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Proverbs twenty one nineteen. Right? You are to vivify, bring to life by the Holy Spirit the grace of meekness and quietness, and you are to mortify or put away contempt and contention. If you would do that, ladies, you would walk well before the Lord. And so I'm going to ask a very simple question, ladies. Do you respect your husband? Do you respect your husband? Not outwardly as a show. And I've mentioned this many times. You can fool me. You can fool your elders. You can fool the people sitting next to you at church. But the Lord is inquiring. And the Lord is looking into your heart. And he's asking you, do you respect your husband? And he knows the answer. He knows the answer. What does he see in your heart? Is there respect for your husband? Let the fear of God cultivate reverence for your husband. That's why we began our series on the family at Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. And this is one of the ways that the ladies are called to walk. If you reverence God, you will respect and submit to your husband's authority. And do respect his authority to lead you and your home. You know, a test of your godliness is going to be this. Will I still respect my husband when I disagree with him? Think of what Jesus said. Again, I'll just remind you of this with loving your enemies. If you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. If you only will respect your husband when you agree with him, how different are you from that, those marriages in the world? What can you say of the gospel's effect in your own life? Even publicans would respect, or tax collectors there, boys and girls, would respect those who agree with them. Every man respects those who would always say the things they want to hear. But will you respect him in disagreement and committing the the disagreement to the Lord when he leads the family in a direction maybe you would not have chosen? Even you counseled him and he says, you know what, Um, my wife, I've thought on it, I've thought on your counsel, but we need to go in this direction. Will you still respect him? You need to respect his counsel, you need to respect his uh, decisions, and you need to submit them to them from the heart, even when you disagree. And again, I'll go back to this. How can you do it? Trusting in God. Trusting in God. God is sovereign. God is ever faithful. You remember in the Old Testament, right? What a tenuous position widows and orphans had. But what were they called to do? To trust in God. To trust in God. And it's the same way for all of us in tenuous positions. We are to trust in God. For you, who are the daughters of God, What does the promise of the Bible? All things work for your good. Even your husband's headship, even if your husband, right, does something that ends up being, at least in the world's eyes, maybe it's even financially disastrous. You resolve to say with Joseph, what he meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. And you are going to find the Lord do something good for it out of all of that. And if you do respect your husband, ladies, don't make major decisions. We'll talk... um, probably next time, about, you know, husband has 
all kinds of ways to delegate decisions to, your wi- to his wife. But ladies, you're not to make major decisions without consulting him. You know, many wives are autonomous in their hearts, right? They might tell their husband, oh, by the way, um, I committed us to go visit our friends next week, but never asked. This might sound minor, but they're actually speaking to a problem of respect. Now, there might be an agreement between husband and wife that, yeah, we can do this or that or the other thing anytime. But if not, if you say, well, you know, I never thought about asking my husband. I just went and I committed our family to this or that and didn't ask him. You don't really respect him, do you? By the way, I enrolled our children in this program or that, but I didn't ask. I didn't give him any oversight over it. Oh, by the way, we're going to host my parents next week, so I need you to go out and get some meat to grill. I mean, these are the things, they might sound silly and small, but it shows a lack of respect for your husband, which is the root issue. They subvert the order of leadership. I do want to deal with this, and I'm going to have to do to time, skip over a few things. I'll probably bring them back in. But I do want to speak of a couple matters of wisdom, not law, for single women who are looking for a husband. And what I'm about to say is probably not going to go well uh, in today's anything goes mentality. But this is wisdom for you as you seek a husband that you can submit to young ladies. It'll be very hard for you to respect a man as your head if he if you choose to marry a man who is much younger. I'm not talking about a year or two or something like that, but much younger than you. You're going to fight maternal instincts and sentiments in the marriage, and he will, uh, he will be a child to you, essentially, and you will want to take the reins. Right? He's going to become more of a child to you and less of a husband. And the second is, you really ought never marry a man who is less ambitious than you are. And I don't mean in the sense of a career. We already talked about that. But it's like, I have all these plans, and I want to do all these things, and I want to set up my home in this particular way. And the man's like, you know what? I just want to go to work, do my 9 to 5. I want to come home and spend time with the Lord and with you. And, you know, the degree of which a man needs to be involved in all kinds of other things, that's a matter of wisdom too. But what I am saying is that if you are so go, 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 right, you're not going to respect your man who says, well, I think we should slow down. Right? And I don't think we should be doing all these things. So you need to uh, find a man who has a very similar capacity for all the things that you want to do. Not the same, right? But you have to definitely not marry a man that you will not respect because he is lazy. You don't want to marry a lazy man, for sure. That's a sin. Laziness is slothfulness. But you need to look at these things because the problem is in marriage, both husband, uh, both suitors tend to overlook such things. But they become realities, after a year or so comes into the marriage. And then suddenly you're finding wives who have no uh, uh, respect for their husband and a husband who now know, doesn't love his wife and so on. Anyhow, if you're already married and you're facing these difficulties, you are to respect such men anyway. But I'm saying this is a matter of wisdom for you before marriage. Whatever it is, whoever you marry, ladies, you are called to respect him. Don't make it really hard on you to do it. The time to decide you can't submit and respect a man is before the wedding vows, not after. All right, our final heading then is her respect is shown outwardly. And I'll probably have to skip over some things and come back to it next time, perhaps. But there are three areas I want to deal with broadly in this heading. First is respect in speech. Second is respect in behavior. And third is respect in public. So after your heart respects your husband, if your heart respects him, these are the ways that you would show it outwardly, right? It begins from the inside and then it comes out in your speech, behavior, and conduct. So first, 
a wife's speech towards her husband should be seasoned with respect. She ought not snap at him. Now, some of these, right, just like when we consider the duties of elders in the church, they're really duties that all men have, right? Right? But they're heightened. And so it's the same way with, with the wife. You know, like no man, no woman should be snapping at others. All should have a certain level of respect for everyone else. But especially in the wife's position, she ought not snap. She ought not be short with her husband. She ought not be snarky, Right? If a wife remembers she is to respect her husband, her speech would reflect it. I always thought about this, right? Sarah calls Abraham with her mouth, Lord. Her speech is submissive as well. And this is not, of course, saying that all women have to call their husbands Lord, but they certainly have to respect him. And what you have to see is that such meekness, right? This inward grace of meekness is not a sign of weakness at all. Our Lord Jesus Christ was called meek, wasn't he? The Proverbs 31 woman is a woman full of strength, but she is also meek, especially with her tongue. What do we read of her? And I love this because this ought to be not just to the ladies, but to all of us, but especially the ladies. Proverbs 31, 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue. Listen to this law is the law of kindness. The law of kindness. What a law that is. That when this woman speaks, what's in her tongue and what she's known for is the law of kindness. I constrain myself to being kind by the grace of God. I've always been taken by that expression. That's the law that governs the virtuous woman's mouth, right? Be governed by that law, ladies, that all would see a tongue of kindness. This is one of the best virtues of your sex, isn't it? Kind, nurturing, compassionate, in ways that men are often not. A woman's tongue is often the balm that heals the wounds of a soul. Many a child finds comfort in his mother's kind speech to them, right? The, the fathers usually just shake it off. What are you doing? And the, the mom comes in and says kind words to them. And they remember that and it heals their soul. That's no weakness. Ladies, it takes a certain kind of strength to be kind, doesn't it? You know it does. You know it does because you have to fight yourself often in it. Think on Jesus before the Sanhedrin. What does the scripture say? When he was reviled, he reviled not in turn. That takes godly strength. That takes the grace of God. Any fool, any foolish woman can snap back. That's not strength at all. There's no virtue in that. It takes godly strength, ladies, to be meek and to be governed by the law of kindness when you interact with your husband. Second, respectful behavior. Some women may be unimpeachable in their speech, but their body language, their body language and their expressions tell a different story. It's the same way as I mentioned to you boys and girls, right? You can not speak back to your father and your mother, but you roll the eyes and we all know what's really, really in your heart, don't we? Contempt and disdain often colors our expressions. And in general, children as well, I had a text I wanted to save for when we get to you, but this is generally how we show deference. And I thought this is a marvelous text for you as well as you think on your conduct. 1 Kings 2.19, this is Bathsheba, the king's mother, went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her 
and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right hand. The king rises up to greet his mother. He bows to her and has a seat set for her, but he is the king. Yet she, he honors her, doesn't he? This is the kind of deference for all in authority. And wives ought to show courtesy and kindness in their behavior towards their husband and children. You should as well to your mother and your father. The law of kindness is not just for the tongue, but for all of our actions. Remember how we once thought on 1 Corinthians 7.34. She that is married careth for the things of the world. How what? She may please her husband. Right, this is what the married woman is to think, right? The husband loves the wife and thinks on her as he thinks on himself, right? He is to love her as he loves himself, as though they're one flesh, which they are. And the wife is to think on how can I please my husband? Third, respect your husband in public. Too many wives disrespect their husband publicly. They often take delight in shaming him in front of others. And this goes in the home. You are to, before the children, not disparage him, even if you disagree with him. You cannot say, you know, and so it's so easy, right? And you might have done this yourself. How many times a mother might go and tell the children, right? Might roll her eyes and say, well, that's just your dad. You know how he is. That's ungodly behavior, isn't it? Right? This goes back to the doctrine of the unity of the marriage bond. You should each, husband and wife, have each other's back. Do not make disparaging remarks about your husband to your family and friends. This is a common evil, isn't it? In fact, you should be wounded when somebody else does it, even in your own family. Even if my mother or my father says something offhand about my husband, it should wound me. I'm one flesh with him. I respect him, not encourage them. In fact, sometimes a rebuke is in order. That's my husband you are speaking of. Today, I suppose this also includes social media. Neither husband nor wife should ever mock each other or complain about one another online. Right? This is a great evil you see all the time. You know, men, I'll put this before you. If you are in the habit of disparaging those in authority over you with those memes and things that I've talked about, do not be surprised if God's chastening on you for not rendering honor to whom honor is due is to give you a wife who will do that to you. That would be fair play, wouldn't it? You post mocking memes of your president or you revile your parents, right? Even that, you will likely find a woman who will do the same to you. Well, as... Your inward graces are tended to, ladies. These things will become evident and they will take care of themselves. One other thing I wanted to encourage you in, be one of the rare breed of women today who cultivates these virtues and graces. Few are like this anymore. And yet these women sparkle as rubies in a quarry of stone. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, listen. Who can find a virtuous woman? If that's in the time of the kings, how much more so now? For her price is what? Far above rubies. Oh, men, be blessed if you have a woman who respects you. Her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. A woman who respects her husband, you know, the husband never has anything but trust for her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Praise the Lord if you have a woman like this man. 
Because Proverbs 12.4 says this, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Well, what if your wife, men, a word to you, men, if your wife is not a sweet, submissive spirit who, and she has no respect for you, you are not allowed to despise her. You must, as Christ did, love his wife who is not what she ought to be. You heard that in Hosea, didn't you? You saw it when we were in that series. That's the gospel, men. The Lord has loved you who are unlovely. Wash her in the word and plead for her. Well, ladies, having seen your need to cultivate respect for your husband, next time, God willing, we will consider what it means for you to be your husband's helpmeet. That the two of you labor together, husband leading, wife supporting, but as companions. Let us remember these things that our homes might find the blessing of Psalm 128. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, or take note, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Amen. Until then, may the Lord keep us and bless our marriages. Please rise for prayer, if able. Oh, our God, may you help your church respect and revere her husband, Jesus. Father, we confess that this is the root of our sin, that we don't respect, we don't honor. As the scripture says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So help us reverence our Father in heaven. Help us adore our heavenly husband. And would you help the ladies here that for their good, Father, and for the glory of God, that they would have a respect for their husband. And that as they see to it, that they respect, reverence their husband. That the husbands would see that they would love their wives, even as their own bodies. That they would tend to her and nourish her. And that as our homes are ordered in this way, the world might see a picture of the gospel. That these dear ladies which sparkle and shine as rubies in the world... And people would be astonished. What is it that makes uh, such a woman such a, a wondrous and kind spirit? Why is the law of kindness in this woman's tongue and not in any other? It is because her heart has been touched by the gospel. And may that be our core concern, Father, that we would be the ones who bring glory to our Father in heaven, that men would see our good deeds in these ways and bring glory to God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.